0: This is the Training Talks podcast with your host Richard Kelly of RK Fitness and Lawrence Davis of LXD Fitness.
1: So have you heard this stuff about Ben Simmons? Now you know this is my favourite topic. You know you can't start off with a topic like this. You know I'm going to go crazy.
0: Well, let's give some background to listeners who might not know who he is first.
1: Okay. I'll take a deep breath before I get into this. Ben Simmons plays for the 76ers, Philadelphia 76ers. He was acquired... I think he came straight through as a trade from the dr- NBA draft with um, him, and then I think a year later was um, Joel Embiid. He was really good in college, but not really the best because he was six nine as a point guard, which made him an anomaly. Yeah, because they're not that big usually. The last one you could think about is probably Magic Johnson, who was yeah. that size and a point guard. Was really good... Um, in the full-court game, but was, wasn't was the best in the half-court game. Couldn't really shoot, but...
0: Let's do, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. We're losing some listeners here. Half-court, full-court game. Let's break this down so, a little so, bit. So, right.
1: so, on fast breaks... Yeah. And when you're going from one side of the court to the other side of the court... Yeah. Towards the basket. I hope that's in yeah. layman yeah. terms enough. Yeah. He's amazing because... It's weird. They say it's like going downhill, but you're moving at so much speed that his height, agility, made such a difference.
0: Yeah. So effectively, if you're playing a, a breaking game when the game's open, that's it. He's great. When it's more the warrior style of game where they're camped around the key, that's where.
1: So that's where that was a problem because he was limited in what he could do. Couldn't shoot the three pointer. Couldn't really shoot at all inside. So he had to drive to the hole or, you know, post up. But he didn't really post up, which was also weird. I think that was weird because if I was him, coming into the league, the first thing I would have done is get, let me say this in layman terms, a small jump shot about five to ten feet away from the basket, but where I start with my back away from the basket.
0: Like a fadeaway.
1: Yes, turn around, fade away. You can give it different names depending on the direction you move. But with his height, if he could get a 60% jump shot at that level... You'd have thought,
0: though... is a nightmare. With his height, he'd be really good at rebounds and he'd be really good at, at what a centre would normally do and, you know, someone shoots from far
1: out, he picks the ball up and rebound and just puts it back in. Y- yes, but the problem is Think about it. He's 6'9". He's a big point guard. But he's just a normal player in most of the positions. we talk about in the league where the guys that are going to excel at what Mm. you're talking about are like 7 foot. Yeah. And because he's a guard, a point guard, he's more of a slimmer frame. Right. Like when you compare him to the guy he plays with, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is probably... I think he's not that much taller than him however he is massive in comparison because he's built like a forward or someone who's in the centre right and so so he loses that ground if he if he tries to do too much of that
0: so in, in placing him in terms of players he's a well he was a phenomenal player coming through the high school college level yes. and then once he's reached the professional level in the NBA he's still a phenomenal talent but he's a limited player and he has to be used in certain specific places. He's not, hes not, for example, uh, the the same way that Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan turned up and completely changed the league. He's not going to do that.
1: Yes, he's not. But the reason for that, now that he's been in the league, I can't even say how many years he's been in the league, but he's been at the 76ers for a couple of years now. He's not done what he should have done. Mm. You can truly see how good a player is Not by Their talent level When they come into the league It's how they change Year after year Yeah And you can see He's not sat down And critically analysed His Game And thought There's areas I need to work on This summer I'm going to do this Until I can't do anymore I'm going to do this till I can't do anymore right. He hasn't done Any of that So To put it into perspective You've got If you take away guys like Kobe Who you know were amazing Yeah a guy, Gilbert Arenas, wasn't heavily recruited coming out of college, came into the league, um, wasn't expected to do much. So the crazy thing with Gilbert Arenas is over two months, he said he's going to shoot 25,000 shots or mm. make 25,000. So if we're generous, we give him, let's say,
0: 80%. Yeah.
1: If he shoots 25,000, if he makes 25,000 shots, with that percentage, he actually has to shoot over 31,000. Yeah. For two months. Which is ridiculous. And if you break that down by the day, isn't it something like 400 a day? It's and that's with no rest. It's
0: 400 makes and 500 shots. Per day. Per day. And that's every day. And that's assuming no days off, no no rest days, no days where he
1: can't train because he's got sponsorship commitments or anything like that. Holidays, Nothing. So that's the type of things that you can do if you're really dedicated. Like Kobe, he used to say in his prime, he used to get upset with Shaq. Shaq used to rest in the off-season instead of training and developing because he got so beat up during the season. Yeah. So he wanted to rest. Kobe used to spend 10 hours a day in the gym.
0: Yeah, because he's trying to develop and, and move forward. And
1: you can see, like, when we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, it took me two hours to shoot about 800 shots. So... If you think about that, for someone like me who would love to do that, to get to that level of accuracy and that level of, you know, precision, that's really hard. Yeah. But for someone who like Ben Simmons, who that's your job. That is what you do for a living. That's how you get paid ridiculous amounts of money. How can you not put that time in? But also surely for someone like Ben Simmons, that
0: would take him from let's say a, a, a mid middle of the range team to being at one of the top end teams. If not, the team would start building around him, and he'd get a higher salary. He'd get more sponsorship money. The, the the payoff would be huge.
1: So here's the thing about Ben Simmons, is his team because he had Joel Embiid and he was there too. They were actually a title contender. When were they a title contender? The last couple of years, they've been they've been one of the best teams in the East. And if you think about it if you're that good and you've got so many good pieces around you, you've got a legendary coach, all you had to do is put in the work. But that's what's upsetting because if he was able to get a consistent, a 50% jump shot, yeah, three throw, and maybe a three pointer, they would be unstoppable because you'd have to guard him, which means you'd have to come out. Yeah, He's fast enough, big enough to bypass you and go to the bucket, which means there's so many defensive issues it causes. It's just insane. But he didn't put the time in.
0: And equally, I mean, the East isn't as strong as the West. So he would, that, that team would be right up there and he, he would have a shot at going into the final.
1: That's it. And that's why there's such a big problem at this stage, because imagine this. Everyone wanted, everyone outside of, you know, the 76ers and most people who love basketball around the league were thinking to themselves, 76ers, you need to trade Ben Simmons, get rid of him, send him somewhere else, get someone else. Because only so long you're going to be able to keep someone like Joel Embiid because on the flip side compared to Simmons, he's improving every year. He's like, a, he's like a more agile version of Shaq. He could put up insane numbers. He just missed out on being MVP this year. Really? Okay. He is insane. The only problem he has is being able to stay injury-free and not missing too many games. But he is a phenomenal player. So that's why looking at Ben Simmons, you're like, you had all the opportunities to do the best you can and improve to make this team just out of this world. And guess what? They didn't even want to get rid of him this summer, Richard. They said to him, look, we really want you to be a part of what we've got here, but you need to really work on your game.
0: So it's massively ironic now that this morning they've announced that he's never going to play for them again because now they've got an asset that maybe no one else is going to want to take because of his attitude.
1: They said, go get better over the summer. Yeah. We really want you. He said, no, I don't want to play for you anymore. Now they're in a sticky situation. Because ultimately, they should have just got rid of him. They shouldn't have waited and given him the option. Yeah. He played so badly in the playoffs last year. Was passing up open shots. It was horrible. And a lot of this was because his confidence was shaken so much because of his lack of shooting or his lack of ability to shoot. As a basketball player myself, he had his ups and downs. With shooting, I understand that the only person he can truly blame is himself because with enough time and enough numbers, he could get good at it. It's just time and numbers. Like, I'm trying to sort out my three-throw shooting this summer and I realised in order to do it, I've got to shoot hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of three-throws. I was shooting yesterday and I didn't feel OK about my shot until I got to, like, 200.
0: But we can see already from his character that he's not going to work on his game. In the off-season. So, what's the next move for him then?
1: That's the thing. His contract is so big. And he's shown he's shown his arse in a way. Because he's shown that he he won't work on it. So, who really wants to take that contract? Usually, people don't want to take a big contract. And someone who's not willing to work on their game to better themselves, I think the worst case scenario is they either force him to play or they buy him out.
0: Well, if someone like that with that attitude and that work ethic is going to get absolutely nowhere, are they? We'll be back in Australia.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I think an NBA team, maybe a low level team, would take him, but for what price? I don't know.
0: So, before I became a trainer, I remember I used to go to a gym, it was Virgin Active, and one of the trainers there used to train a lady who had one arm and obviously on her other arm, which was the right arm, she had half of her forearm. So just the elbow and the half of the forearm. And what was quite interesting was the way I watched her get trained by him. So he was one of those uh, trainers, sort of similar to us, who was quite used to sort of thinking outside the box and looking at things a bit differently. So he was trying various different methods. Um, I don't know what she was there for. I would speculate, obviously, that he's there to try and help her do upper body stuff because a lot of their sessions appear to be upper body based. Um, So he'd use a lot of resistance bands with that side. So he tied the resistance band to that limb and have her work that way. And he'd he tried different movements. So he try um, sort of movements that 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 involve more cross chain than anything else.
1: Uh, Sorry, cross chain. Yeah,
0: cross chain than anything else. Thank you. So now, obviously, I have the memory of this from being not a trainer. So my understanding of what he was doing is going to be somewhat limited. Whereas now, having looked at it now, I might form a different opinion. But it stuck with me is that must be quite um, something quite difficult to
1: do. Yeah, it is a minefield. I was thinking about it the other day, and for a normal person who doesn't have any disability like that, we trying to say make sure. Person. Yeah. So what should we say then?
0: Able. I think the, the, able-bodied. Yeah, that's not that But the then, that, yeah.
1: but then, if you've got if you're missing a limb, you're still able-bodied. So according to the dictionary,
0: able-bodied means having a healthy and strong body and being physically fit. Which actually means a lot of people are not able-bodied. <laughs>
1: and, and a lot of people who have a limb missing are able-bodied. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, think, I think we should probably
0: use the term typical person or ordinary person or something like that. Or What's the term for a person with a missing limb? Amputee. No, that's if they've had it cut off. Or if they're born without it. Still amputee. Apparently you're right. Amputee is, is one of the correct terms, but there is a debate about this. So I don't think it's settled. So if any listener knows, they can tell us, and we'll correct it.
1: Even if you had it before, and lost it, or you didn't have it at the beginning, you're still classed as an amputee. Well, this is this is one of the disc-
0: debates about this
1: because apparently that terminology, they feel,
0: isn't correct. But we'll go with that for now. So we'll we'll refer to people as non-amputees and amputees. Yeah. For, for the rest of this podcast, and then if we've got that wrong, you can email Lawrence and tell him. But I don't <laughs> want to know. But
1: the thing that I find, or you know, would be challenging is not training someone an amputee for a sport we'll be training an amputee just for normal life
0: so you mean day-to-day stuff
1: yeah like someone who just came to the gym as an amputee that'd be a lot harder than training someone for a sport you can really get a good program grab for someone let's say they're training for tennis yeah because you've got that direct focus but now trying to put a lot of like general gym things into that position into that person's program for me would be tough
0: well you've also got self-selection bias in this because if you look at most people who are really good at tennis they tend to already be athletic and have good coordination whereas if you take your ordinary person who you know is unbalanced and isn't that athletic and generally is sort of just average at most things and then they are an amputee that causes the problem anyway because i mean for a start you've got a left right imbalance whichever way you look at it if you've got say the left arm missing or the right arm missing, there's going to be an imbalance there. So how has that had an impact in the rest of their body? Because we don't really feel it, but obviously my upper arm has a weight to it. Now that weight might be, let's say, I don't know, three kilos. Maybe that's too late. I have no idea. Right, three kilos. Now if you take three kilos off my, my right side and I've only got the left arm, I'm always unbalanced by three kilos all day.
1: Yep, and because of that, you're gonna lean more to the side that lost the 3kg rather than staying on the heavier side. One thing that I would always focus on, but you know I'd have to really work to home in and define is trunk training.
0: Well this is this is where trunk training becomes vital because you're gonna get one side of that trunk that's stronger than the other and in certain circumstances, it's going to be reversed because of how the trunk works.
1: That's it. And that's the one thing that regardless of whether it's an arm or a leg, that's the one thing which will always be consistent, is that trunk stability and being able to make sure that you can rebalance the stability as best as possible.
0: You've also got structural issues here as well because if they haven't had the limb for a long time and they've grown during that process, like from a child missing a limb, you're going to have spinal potential difficulties, other things like that because of the pressures and the growing and, and, and the shifting and that kind of thing as well. So you might be dealing with stuff that you actually can't necessarily undo.
1: But the funny thing is, you know, like a lot of people at high level sports have issues that if they weren't sports people, you'd be like, I need to fix this. However, that is a compensation which they've created in their body to be able to perform at that high level. So you don't want to change it. And I'd say the same thing for an amputee. There's certain things about their structure which you'd see would be unnormal or not right. But you don't want to change it because that's the thing that's made them the way they are.
0: Yeah. So it's it's created... um...
1: They've compensated to, to get the strongest body they can, but it's an imbalance on normal terms.
0: Yeah, so it's, they've, they've created functionality from, yes. from this scenario. Don't,
1: don't say functionality. Don't say anything about function.
0: I'm using lower, lowercase
1: f. not Okay, because you yeah. know that a word is everything but nothing at the same time. We have to have a
0: conversation about that because I define functionality completely differently to the way that all functional trainers define functionality. I
1: just, I just don't like to use the word. Because, you know, people start using it and thinking they're big. Yeah, you know, just functional training. Functional training for what? Going to the toilet? What, what, but you do need function?
0: to... There is functional training for that. But <laughs> like, what's the, what because, the fuck? Because it's, it's functional.
1: <laughs> See? See? Back into by, that. By one.
0: my definition, but yeah.
1: Let's say you've got your left arm, but not your right arm.
0: Okay.
1: It's going to be really hard for you to, you know, in for like rows and stuff like that, to be able to create the same amount of resistance against load that he would on the other side.
0: Yeah. This is the thing that I found interesting with this this uh, trainer that I saw before because he was using a band and then on the, on the other side he was using, in one example, it was a dumbbell. Now, personally, I would have used a band on both sides and I would have attached it at the same point to be pedantic to, to try and get some connection there. However, what I don't know and what we'll never know is whether he used that band for a specific activation reason through that back that maybe because that person doesn't have a hand they're not got the same grip stimulus and therefore they don't have the same neurological connection to the back on that missing limb side. So we're getting into the realms of speculation here because, I mean, have you trained someone with a missing limb or missing body parts? No. Neither have I. So, and it's only when I think you'd be working with someone like that that you'd find out how that neurological system is connected as well because you don't know if there's misconnections there that are never going to fire because you, how much stimulus comes out of gripping... Versus not.
1: Yeah, that's true. That is so true.
0: So, I mean, I've, I find that... Because um, the, the other thing I was thinking is, is if you're missing, say, a leg, it's actually a lot easier to do barbell work in, in, in ways because you've got two arms. So you can... Quite a lot of barbell movements do translate over, apart from obviously stuff like squats, but...
1: So that's the, that's the thing that will blow your mind. There's one um, very famous trainer or coach... I think it's called Jankovic, and he created a dumbbell system for Olympic lifting.
0: I think you've mentioned him before, yeah.
1: That would be perfect for someone in this situation. With a missing leg, missing leg, or missing arm, because you could make it. You could you do unilateral stuff, and still be able to work through those realms of like it wouldn't be power so say per se, but you'd be able to do. Ballistic training, you be able to do certain things which would be strength related. Think about the Paralympics. Yeah, we'll go into more depth later, but think about the powerlifting section. You've yeah. got to train someone with who's in a wheelchair to do a maximal lift, chest press, but they have no grounding through their legs.
0: Yeah, which is when you think about it, completely crazy. I mean, most people don't think, most people don't think about the fact that you use your legs in a bench press.
1: To you drive your hips up. There's yeah. so much going on. And now, you've got rid of that.
0: Yeah, so you've only got the upper body.
1: So with a bench press, I know in uh, Paralympics, they um, use straps to hold the legs in place. But yeah, it's still, just the thought process of that is just insane thinking, you know, that they can create that much force with no leg stability. And that much stability through the trunk with no leg stability.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's incredible anyway. The, the, when you watch it and actually appreciate how hard some of these things are to do. Like you watch you watch stuff and some of them are doing like Olympic lifts and they're missing like a hand. And they're stabilizing on effectively like just a wrist and another hand. How are they able to do that?
1: It's insane. Yeah. What I still can't truly understand is the classifications.
0: Yeah, that's another level.
1: Like I've been looking at some of them, but it's like for every sport they've got totally different numbers. And classifications for certain things, like you know, for track and field, they've got like visually impaired, they've got a sight guide, they've got intellectually impaired, cerebral palsy, athletes with dwarfism, amputation, or others, wheelchairs, all these different things. But then you go to another sport and it's totally different.
0: That's that's I think because of the way that sport gets affected.
1: So, I've got some crazy Paralympic examples just to mess up your head with. Come, a guy called um Amar Massad, his bench press. It's 235 kilos yep he's he's in the 107 category from the look of his legs he's paralyzed from the waist down but he can create that much stability to push out 235 which is crazy that's insane
0: for the listener how much difference does leg drive make on a, a powerlifting style bench press we say it's 40
1: percent you know what i think it's one of the things that it tapers up the heavier you go
0: yeah, because I think with a low weight, you can sort of just lie there and bench it, right? Yeah. But at a certain point, it becomes a whole body action. It's, like, it's, it's sort of similar to, say, like the deadlift I mean, how much, like when you were describing um, your deadlift and you were saying about how much the fingers make a difference in terms of where they are in the bar and how much pressure you're putting through them, it's the same sort of thing. I think with the, with the bench, it does make a huge difference the heavier you get.
1: Massive. So it's almost like being able to push close to your maximum on a bench press with your feet up on a bench. Side-to-side wobbling would just be insane.
0: Yeah, and then also you don't have any uh, ability to drive out of there if you get stuck.
1: Yep, yep. Okay, have you got any more? I could go on for days. There's this guy that really inspired me, um, Cameron Leslie. Okay. From New Zealand. He was born with neither fully formed legs or arms. Oh, wow, okay. Swimmer. 150 metres medley.
0: Has he got like... artificial limbs when he does that or no
1: his legs are just before the knees his arms come up but i think is one arm he's got it looks like he's got like one finger kind of formed and then the rest of the hand is non-existent the other arm is actually like a stub before the wrist thinking about swimming and everything i know how to create speed in the water yeah be aerodynamic you
0: create a pocket of air that you you go through
1: The number one. come. On. This guy called Abraham Hamad II. Table tennis player. Yeah. No arms. Okay. Hang on. Let Get your head round it first. Get your head round it. Hang on, hang he's on. He's ranked 55th in the world. Get your head round what in, I just in, told in, you. Hang
0: on. There's too many things here. 55th in the world of all players.
1: No, of Paralympic players. Okay,
0: right. 55th in the world and he's got no... So he's playing with his feet? No. He's playing with his mouth?
1: Yes. He serves with his right foot and plays with his mouth.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say you have to move around the table. How
1: insane is his upper back and neck movement? To be able to move your neck in such subtle angles to get a spin on the ball with the back. I watched him and I just thought, there's being good at something... And there's just being so determined, you're able to create the strength in your body to do things. Which
0: just goes to show you as well, when you look at people who are just normal uh, non-amputees and you see them do stuff and struggle with it and they go, I can't do this, it's too hard. And you think, okay, but this guy here is playing table tennis with his mouth. Because not just that, but think about the fact if it's in your mouth, when you take the shot, you have to look away from where the ball's going to go. You can't see what you're doing, whereas... And for the listeners out there, when when you think about playing tennis or table tennis or badminton or anything like that, think about how much you're looking at your opponent when you hit the ball. You don't actually watch the ball hit your racket. You watch it until a certain point and then you look at your opponent and strike. This guy has to look down and away and hope the ball's coming to where he's guessed it's coming and then strike the ball and then see where it's going.
1: It is another level of complexity and to be able to do it at, at any decent level... Like, it's more than a hats off to him because he's defied so much to be at that level.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Wow. Um, okay, so I had a thought and I wondered where you sat on it. So, do you think a person who was a non-amputee to start with, who'd gone through a level of athletic training in their given sport and had then lost a limb, would be more advantaged or disadvantaged than someone who'd been born as an amputee and had gone through childhood and then taken up the sport, you know, they're competing against one another.
1: So, yes, if they were a non-amputee and became an amputee and they were playing the sport before, yes, there's a table tennis player, a female, who that happened to. She um, was a really high-level player, had an accident, Um, I can't remember what she lost, and she was playing and she won and I thought to myself, it's amazing that you can still play, but at the same time, you had such an advantage over everybody else because you're already at a high level at it. I know that you know you now you've got you had the disadvantages compared to normal to um, non-amputees, but you're at such a high foundation before you lose it, it will be actually nearly impossible not to be not still be good at it. the
0: the only The only advantage I could see for someone who was born a non-amputee would be in a sport where say like you have to use your you've lost your dominant hand or your dominant leg for a certain thing like a high jumper or something who's lost the push-off leg or uh a tennis player who's lost the the arm they play with that's the only time i could i could see an advantage for the amputee
1: yeah without a doubt yeah all those years of training and i know they talk about muscle memory but let's be correct all those years of training and nerve memory yeah would put you at such a high advantage. It would take you a quarter of the time to get back to where you were. Or not get back to where you were, but a quarter of the time to get to the standard, a high-level standard of a Paralympian compared to...
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously it depends on how bad it was. But yeah, if you're able to play the sport, then yeah, you you would be at a very high competitive level pretty quickly.
1: I think track and field events like um, running events, I think, would be different. Track and
0: field is difficult, though, because if you take, say, running, you've got the guys who run in blades... Right, as I understand it, because the blade is so light, their acceleration is so fast that it gives some of them a advantage
1: yes, but
0: not compared to an um, to a non amputee but but if, if you had own...
1: a non amputee who lost their legs
0: oh yeah, by miles they'd be
1: i don't think they'd be that much better i think I think they'll still have the same uphill battle
0: well again, this goes back to my thing about if you're losing the dominant bit for your sport then potentially because if you lose your legs and you're a runner
1: because think about it you got to the point where your legs had become so finely tuned so now you've got to unlike a, a, an amputee you've got to figure out what part of your body is going to have to be overloaded and trained to be able to get it to make that same speed on even blades See what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: and I, I, I am fairly certain that a blades action would be different to a legs action.
1: Totally. When you see them when you see them run with the blades, it, it's it, because of the way that their legs are, you know, like cuz of the stumps. It's almost as if they're not going forward and back, they've got to go round in circles.
0: Yeah, the circular action on them. Yeah, they?
1: to get the leg into the right, get the blade into the right position to traction through. And a lot of them don't even use the starting blocks. They just kind of stand up or crouch down.
0: I don't think they can. Some of them can okay
1: so we can use a, it It just depends on their I think on the position of the amputee and also like their mobility such a cool thing to be involved in and yeah. hopefully down the line I can actually have the opportunity to work with people like that yeah I'd be interested so inspiring I mean,
0: let's, let's finish off then quickly by talking about a little bit on training um, for individuals who are um, amputees so One of the things that I've always thought is that you could use uh, machines in order to overload certain areas around, say, the missing limb. So, for example, uh, using a shoulder press machine, you could work around the, um, say, if if you've got, say, the upper forearm missing, you could use that shoulder press machine to create some level of tension to to press up through that side.
1: The only problem with that is, in my opinion, would be if you're using a machine... Most machines have a strict motion. Yeah. But if someone's got amputee on that side, I don't think a lot of them can follow that strict movement. It would be a totally different movement to the norm.
0: It, it would, but I'm I'm just thinking about from a pure isolation overload of of a muscle in a safe safe way because the the machine doesn't allow them to deviate through.
1: Yeah, but they almost need to deviate.
0: They do, but what what if, for example, you've got someone where They've they've lost their limb, so they, they are able to... Or they, they had that correct mo- motion overhead, right? And then they've lost it, and you still want to keep the deltoid strength in there, right? So they've got the false arm, let's say, and they're pressing. So you can make it so that that doesn't allow the deviation because the neurological system's trying to cheat that movement to try and build in. I'm not saying you do it for overload purposes where you're trying to maximise... Uh, lift. I'm talking about using it for a neurological connection.
1: Well, you know, what? maybe, maybe, but it's one of those things. I think it's a good idea, and it probably would work well, but only with like a couple of people. I think it'd be a fifty-fifty toss-up.
0: Yeah, and then it's, it's it's it just depends on the right circuit, so it's the right person.
1: That's it, because I think the band. What you said about the band, I think that would work the best. What? Because you could you could look at them, see what the movements like, check the ranges, and actually cater a band system to hit that perfectly and you'd still be getting into the deltoid but you'd be getting into the deltoid in a range that actually works for them
0: you've got, de- you've got bands and then isometric
1: yeah isometric holds are the same thing but, all, but then you could just use heavy bands and isometrically hold it against it but either way I think you know some people would have that range of motion to go through machines but a lot of people wouldn't because you know their body's adapted in a way that they do things differently like this one table tennis player who had um, one arm he got to the point where his the arm where he lost it, his shoulder had internally rotated. Right. But it, it's it was stay it stuck there, but it wasn't a bad thing. It was almost like he'd done it as a coping mechanism. So now when he went to serve, he would put the racket or the, the, the table tennis racket yeah. in there for a second, hold the ball, change the position, maybe put the ball in there, then lay it on the on the racket and then load it up. Right. So it's almost like if if he's created that that compensation now to be in that internally rotated position and a shoulder press machine wouldn't be the best thing for him because he wouldn't you wouldn't be able to get him up in that without causing his shoulder to go through or lock
0: yeah I mean that's the difference between an athlete and a non-athlete though because for a non-athlete you'd want to maintain good posture in that position. So right you, might, you might be working with them. But, you, I mean, your your point is is right. You'd mainly work around bands and you'd work isometric holes. You might work some dumbbell work in there as well.
1: But remember, this is all hypothetical because yeah. neither of us have done this before. We we'll both want to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, but also as well, the, the point we're trying to make is it's such a vast and broad thing. Like, yes. uh, I don't like... It's a completely different thing. But how you train an Olympic team of Paralympics, Paralympians, oh, is because they're not all going to have the same problem. Nope. So how are you supposed to make it so it's supposed to work together?
1: I was trying to find some literature on it, and that's the hardest thing right now is to find literature on stuff like that, like team events, but Paralympic team events. That might be one of my, you know, my evening yeah. evening pursuits. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Instead of reading a book, I just read some journals. Find some journals. You know, we've all
0: got stuff we we want to do in the evening. If that's if that's what interests you, that's what interests you. Without
1: doubt. But um, so listeners, thank you. We're always open for you guys sending questions back to us for us to answer, and we'll see you next time.